today, we're beginning the second part of a series on the church. The first part that I shared with you was really to help you understand that the church is not a building, but a people. Did we get that? The church is not a... It is a... Which people? Yeah. You are the church that meets here. Sometimes you are the church that meets in somebody's home because as a portion of the church, you're gathering there and you're fellowshipping. You may be having a small group or you may be doing a ministry, uh, but you are still the church. The church isn't just what happens on a Sunday morning. That would be pathetic. The church is what happens throughout the whole week as you, the people of God, gather, meet, serve, worship, learn. That is God's church. God did not send his son into the world so that we could gather for an hour on a Sunday morning and sing hymns and listen to some guy talk. That is not why Jesus came into the world. He came into the world so that our hearts would be changed from hearts of stone and hearts of rebellion to those who love God and love others. That is why Christ gave his life, to break the power of sin in us. Today's message begins the, the area of what it looks like to be a part of the family of God, to be a member of a local congregation or assembly or church. And it's a hard message because it's a message that speaks of commitment. I know there are a lot of words that we often X out and we, we call them these are words we shouldn't say because they're offensive. And it seems that the word commitment has become an offensive word because it asks something of us. It means making a stand. When I look at the church, Jesus, as we've seen, has described his family in terms of assembly or bride or citizens of heaven or a flock under the leadership of a shepherd or a house of people who are, are worshiping God or a temple being built up so that God might dwell in them. A dwelling, a body that all functions together. A family. All of these different terms are used in scripture to help us get a, a handle on what it means to be the people of God. Peter sums up a number of them when he says, you are a, let's read this together, but you are a chosen people, a, a God's, why? So that do you catch the purpose for which God has called you? And from when, where he called you and to what he has called you? He has called us out of darkness, out of confusion, 
out of wrong thinking, out of error, out of lies, into the truth, into his light. That is what he has called us to. Why? So that we may declare the praises of the one who has called us. The church never stands higher than when she worships God. And one of the ways that we demonstrate our worship for God is in the way that we act and live out our lives towards one another and to the, towards those who are our neighbors. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Jesus said, what? That's you. Jesus said he would call you. He said his spirit would strive with your spirit to draw you to himself so that he can put you into his family. Some of you have said yes and you are now part of the family of God. Some of you have yet to make that commitment to say yes to Jesus and to have that assurance that you are now part of the family of God. Something is still holding you back from saying yes to Jesus who loved you and gave himself for you. The Bible says that when we, while we were still sinners, still fighting against God, he gave his life for us. That's how much he loves us. What's holding you back? But some of you have said yes. And you are part of the family of God. And when Jesus says, I will build my church, we then have to ask the question, well, what about me? Now that I am part of the family of God, will I too build the church? Jesus said, I will build my church. And me? What will I say? God's servant, the Apostle Paul, the Spirit of God spoke through him and he expressed his commitment to building the church when he said, he is the one we proclaim. Who? God. He is the one we proclaim. We're admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ and listen to his words of commitment. He says, to this end I strenuously contend with all the energy that Christ so powerfully works in me. Does that sound like he's committed to building the church? I think so. Can I speak with the same passion? Is that the same desire of my heart? Am I committed to the same things that Christ has committed? Or am I running my own agenda? So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, and I guess you could say Paul filled each of those categories, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith, in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. 
And he sums that up. This last verse actually comes before, but it really sums up everything that he's saying here. It says, make every effort. There's that word effort again. Make every effort to what? To keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The Holy Spirit has put unity in the body of Christ because it's by the Holy Spirit that you came into the body. It is the Holy Spirit that holds us together. And when that unity is broken, it's because, not because the Holy Spirit, it's not because God has failed in any way, it's because we have made a choice or we have stepped back from that commitment to unity or we have brought disharmony to the family of God in some way. Unity and peace take hard work. And the first commitment that I'm asking you to make today as members of the body of Christ, as those who are in the family of God, the first commitment that I'm asking you to make today is to unity. And I'm asking you to make that commitment because the Holy Spirit is asking you to make that commitment. Because the Holy Spirit has placed that in the body of Christ and because the word of God calls us to it make every effort to maintain that unity well how can I do that if I say I will build my church by protecting the unity of my church I will build the body of Christ here at Emmanuel by protecting the unity of the church at Emmanuel. What are three things that I can do? Well, there are three things that I want to talk to you about this morning. We could probably add others, but I'm going to speak about three. And each of the three is challenging. The first is, I will act in love toward other members. The second says that I will refuse to gossip. Really? Gossip? What's that got to do with anything? I will support God's chosen leaders. Oh, now you're getting carried away again. <laughs> well, let's see what God says about it. Let's take a look at the first one. I will act in love toward other members. The Apostle John shares this over and over again. He's often been called the Apostle of Love. The primary message of his, his three letters of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, his epistles, is, is about love. He says, this is the message that you have heard from the beginning. In other words, this is not something new. You've heard this right from the start. This is what Jesus has told us. So I'm just repeating what the Lord has told me to tell you. And I'm repeating to you what John told me that Jesus told him to tell you. So you've been told. <laughs> we should love one another. Well, that sounds nice. Give everybody a pat on the back and go home. We're all done, right? Except that love means not that I have to feel good about you or even that I have to like you. 
but I have to act in your best interest. If biblical love, agape love, is acting in the best interest of another person, and it doesn't mean that I have to like you, then that means I can love you even if you're my enemy. I can still act in your best interest. And Jesus calls us to even love our enemies, doesn't he? Do good to those who despitefully use you. Pray for them. Bless them. Really, God? How on earth can I do that? Lord, don't you know what they've done to me? And Jesus says, yes, I do. From the cross. I do know what they've done to you. And they're nailed to a cross. He looked down from the cross and he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And he stayed on the cross and allowed himself to be put to death so that he might pay the price of our sin. He knows what it means and he knows the cost of loving others. We must not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil and his brother had been doing what was righteous. You will remember as you read it back in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, back in chapter 4, how Adam and Eve had their first children. And the first one born to them was Cain. And the second one born was Abel. And Cain, the first human born on the earth, rose up and murdered his brother. Not a good start for the human race. And in fact, it was the first religious war. Because both of them had brought offerings to God and God smiled on Abel's offering and frowned on Cain's. And Cain got mad at God and because he was mad at God, he killed his brother. And we've been following that example even today in our worship wars. It's the same thing. Oh, you can't sing that kind of song. You can't use that instrument. You can't sit on those chairs. You have to sit on pews, and the pews shouldn't be padded. They should be hardwood, and they shouldn't have backs on them because you're going to get comfortable and go to sleep. They should just be benches. In fact, let's take them all out and make you stand the whole service. <laughs> and on and on it goes, and we have worship wars. And we're becoming just like Cain and Abel. And we're killing one another when we're called to worship God. Love is very practical. It affects how we come together as a people of God. It affects how I treat people where I work, where I live, in my home, in my community. Love is hard work. The first commitment I make to God is to maintain unity in my church. And I remember K 
Cain and Abel. And I say, oh God, what have I been doing? When I complained about what the young people wanted to do to worship God, what was I doing? What was I thinking? Was I standing in the way of someone else bringing praise to God? Was I discouraging their full-hearted offering? And I'm bringing my ritual. It's hard work. I will act in love towards other members because if we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves that we have passed from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is really a murderer at heart, just like Cain. So we ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. We need to be prepared to make sacrifices for one another, even though we're used to doing something different even though we really like it the way it was, even though I actually know the words to that hymn that we're not singing anymore. But I'm learning a new song, a new song of praise to God. And I can sing it with joy because I know that younger hearts are laying hold of it. And Part of what I'm doing in building up the body of Christ is preparing the next generation to be the church and to lead the church and to reach out as the church. And part of what God is calling me to do as a mature believer is to hand over what I know and can do and to enable someone else to take it and to take it and to run with it. That's what God is calling us to do. Not for me to take hold of something and hang on to it until I'm dead and buried and they pry it out of my cold, dead hand. <laughs> but to hand it over with joy and see another take it and run with it. Imagine a relay race where you see runners with the, the torch running along and they get to the handoff spot and they have to have a fight over who, who gets to take it from there. <laughs> that would kind of hold up the race, wouldn't it? Probably make for interesting watching, but it would make for a terrible race. We hand off the torch. So my first commitment is to love other members. My second commitment is that I will not gossip. Now, this is an interesting one. Because we often think of gossip as, well, you know, I, it, just between you and me, it's really a prayer talk. I, I'm just sharing prayer concerns here. It's not really gossip. It, I'm just sharing a prayer concern. All right? But really, look at how Scripture describes it. Since they thought it was foolish, said the apostle to the church at Rome. They thought it foolish to acknowledge God. He abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness. 
Now, if I was asking you to give me a list of things that you thought were really, really, really wicked, I wonder if you'd give me the same list. Sin, oh yeah, yeah, I'm good with that one. Greed, well, yeah, I suppose we could put greed on the list. Hate, oh yeah, that, that's a good one. Let's, let's keep that one. Envy, well, you know, I mean, the economy needs a little bit of envy, doesn't it? Otherwise, we wouldn't go out and buy things. So, oh, I'm not sure about that here in North America. Murder, oh yeah, let's keep that one. Um, quarreling, yeah, you know, a little healthy discussion, you know, animated discussion. Maybe we shouldn't be so upset about that. Deception, well, boy, that would just ruin our politics, wouldn't it? <laughs> Malicious behavior, that, that sounds like it belongs. And gossip, wait a minute. Is that really there? God puts these things all together. And he doesn't say one is more evil than the other, but he calls all of them every kind of wickedness. To gossip is wicked behavior, evil behavior, ungodly behavior. And gossip is really talking about someone behind their back without their knowledge or without their consent. In many regards, gossip is the murder of another person's character. It is, isn't it? That's what we do when we gossip. And if I'm gossiping about someone or talking about someone behind their back, in church, or in the parking lot, or in a, a little home meeting where we're really having a prayerful discussion about the needs of the church and the dangerous things that they're doing at the church, or you know, what, what someone is suggesting, we're engaging in gossip. And God says we are fighting against the unity of his body. We are grieving the Holy Spirit, if you continue reading in this passage, or in the passage in uh, Ephesians. So am I committed to loving my brothers and sisters in Christ in order to maintain the unity that the Holy Spirit has given? Am I committed to not gossiping so that I may maintain the unity of the Spirit that God has put in his church? Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is what? Helpful for building others up. According to their needs. That it may? That sounds like loving conversation. Loving conversation. Of course, there's a great deal said about the use of the mouth and the tongue. Read the book of Proverbs and you'll see passage after passage after passage speaking about the use of our tongues. You look in the book of James and it speaks of the tongue as a small member, but it can set on fire. If anyone can control their tongue, well, they've controlled the whole body. 
It's a small member of our body, but it causes great harm and destroys the unity of a church. And it only takes one person. They tell one person, and they tell one person, and they tell one person, we're just passing on prayer requests. Pray for so-and-so. Down south, I think they have a, a great way of doing it. And they speak of, uh, well, you know, Mr. Mr. McGillicuddy, that grisly, miserable, lying wretch, bless his little heart. <laughs> we cover it up, but we get it out anyway, don't we? Let's refuse to gossip in any form. And let's seek those words that are helpful according to need that it may benefit those who listen. And then the third area, I will support God's chosen leaders, all to protect the unity of my church. Dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work and live peacefully with each other. You know when you as a congregation affirmed the work of your pastoral search committee, you were following this verse. You asked them to be leaders among you and to give you guidance and to go and search for a new pastor. And they went out and they did the work and they did their diligence. And you came alongside and said, we've seen what you've said, we've heard what you've said, we've seen the one that you've called, and we affirm it. And that brings unity to a body. And that's a blessing. They work hard among you to give you spiritual guidance. It's interesting as you look at scripture, that this idea of supporting godly leadership starts in the home. That God desires children to learn to respect leadership by learning to respect their mother and their father. It's so basic. And if we fail to teach basic respect in our homes, it will just keep on from there. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise so that it may go well with you and you may enjoy a long life on the earth. And the same may be true of honoring those who are your spiritual parents or your spiritual leaders so that it may go well with you. And that God may bless you because God will never bless a congregation that is at war with the ones that God has set in leadership. God will never bless you. Unity is a precious commodity. It is given by God, but it is destroyed by us. Are you prepared to commit to unity in the church. An old saying goes back several hundred years now. It says that in essentials there will be unity. The death, burial, resurrection of Christ. 
the necessity of loving, the refusal of gossiping. In essentials, we will have unity. In non-essentials, there can be liberty. You want a cup of tea? Fine. You want a cup of coffee? Very good. You'd rather have water? That's okay. You, you want none of the above? That's all right as well. You have liberty in these things. You want to sit on the right side or the left side or down the middle? Or you'd rather sit in the preferred seating in the back in those lovely little red chairs? You have liberty. But in all things, we must have, to use the good old-fashioned word, charity. We must be generous towards one another and allow in all things treat one another in love so that we can have loving discussions that are helpful and build each other up in all things unity.